The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. That's my king. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to the well. The title of today's message is, Who is King? And I know you've heard that before. You haven't seen that particular video. That's S.M. Lockridge, and it doesn't get old. I can watch it a million times, and I could enjoy it just as much the million and one. Because that's my king. 
This morning I want to preach a message that talks about where your allegiance is. That asks the question, who is king in your life? That asks the question, why do you do what you do and go where you go? And what is the backbone of every action that you take? Today's message is entitled, Who is King? I want to walk you through a story in the Old Testament. And the story involves two main characters. One character is the shepherd boy David, who was called by God through a prophet and anointed to be king. But at the time he was called and anointed, there was already a king in Israel, and his name was Saul, which is the other character. And so we have a little tension here between the young shepherd boy David at the time of his calling and the king who was already on the throne. We had someone in place. We had a king over Israel, and he was king, rightfully so. Everything that was meant for him to be and have and hold as king, he had. And he had been called by God, and he had been put in place by God. He was rightfully king. But what we see is someone coming up to take his place as king, also called by God. And so this tension between David and Saul was a tension that was selfishly put before God's calling. We have to see ourselves in this story, and we have to learn as we walk through the scriptures and as we read stories like this and as we see what Jesus has said to us and what he has called us to do, we have to read the scriptures and say, how does this apply to my life? But first and foremost, we have to say, what does this teach us about Jesus Christ? Because if the scriptures do not lead us to Christ, then they lead us astray. We've got to find what this is teaching about Jesus so that we can properly apply it to our lives. I'm going to read you part of the story. I'm going to give you a little bit of context. In chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, Samuel the prophet is called by God to go to the house of Jesse and to look at Jesse's children and to proclaim one of them to be king. <clears throat> Samuel does so and as he goes to the house of Jesse, he looks through all of his sons and there are tall, handsome young men, really strong who you would think this would make a good king. This fine specimen of a young man, this would make a good king. And Samuel says, nope, nope. Jesse brings his best sons and stands them in front of the prophet and says, this is the one that you're looking for, this man here. No, no. Well, how about this one? He's a little shorter, a little uglier, but how about him? Now, he brings another, and it's like he's stair-stepping down. Well, how about this one? You know, he's all right, I guess. No. He presents all of his sons, and Samuel still looks and says, he's not here. Do you have any more kids? And I guess David, being the, the runt of the litter, wasn't even considered worthy by his father to present to Samuel because he was a little nobody, youngest of everybody, and he didn't have this stature at the time, and he, he wasn't like these guys, and so he wasn't even presented for the job. But Samuel, commissioned by God, says, do you have any more children? Is there anyone else here that may be considered by God to take the place of king of Israel? And he says, well, I've got one more. He's out in the field, but there's no way. 
He says, go get the boy. So they go get the boy and they bring him. And God says, that's the one. Before we even get started today, let me tell you something right now. Don't ever think that you can't be used. Because it may just be your imperfection and the fact that you've got a past why God chooses to use you. You understand that? God is not seeking out the perfect to do a perfect job. He's seeking out the broken to do the job that he's already done. God is looking to use you guys. You've got to see that because him using you is the way that you get fulfilled. If you're not being used by God, you're not being fulfilled. So Samuel says, this is the one. This is the one that is going to be king over Israel. I'm anointing him as king right now. But it wasn't his time to take the place as king. He had to wait for a while. <clears throat> he had to wait for a while. And as a matter of fact, his life got very difficult when God called him into that place. His life got extremely hard as God called him into that place. But what we see time and time and time again is God's favor bringing him through the trials and the heartaches of his call. A lot of you, you won't step into your call because you're not good enough. But you see, it's Christ's righteousness that calls you into that call and then upholds you in it. See, it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is not you, it is him. Will you answer the call on the basis of he will carry you through the call? Everyone in here has a call. If you know Jesus Christ, if you've been born again, then you have a call. If you don't know Jesus Christ, then your call is to come and bow down before the king and receive a word from him on where to go and what to do because you have a purpose. Your purpose is to worship and make him famous. Your job your call your purpose the only way that you can be fulfilled is to be used by jesus christ to usher in his kingdom isn't that wonderful isn't that wonderful your life not only can be fulfilled but you can be the part of fulfilling other people's lives and that is a wonderful thing we have a story here within this story as the plot line continues we see saul become threatened we see Paul, Saul become threatened. He is the king over Israel, but he is no longer as famous as David when we get to this place because David comes up and he is a good man. He is a man after God's own heart. Now, he does have his, has his flaws, and later on in his life, we see him just fall off dramatically. But all that tells us is, is that God knows. God knows that you're going to fall. God knows that you're going to fail, and he is still willing to use you and love you and allow you to be used to bring in the kingdom of God. This morning, I want to present to you a little story out of this of Saul and David, and I want you to think about Jesus Christ, and I want you to think about your life, and I want you to think about what God is calling you to and where you can relate in this story. Listen to the story. At this point, Saul's been chasing after David and he's trying to kill him because Saul is jealous because David is a wonderful leader. He has people following him and people that love him. But David is actually still, he's still loyal to Saul. Even though Saul is trying to take his life, David is still loyal to him. He is still lifting him up as king and he is still working for him. Listen to this place. <clears throat> when Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. 
And when he came to the sheepfolds by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. He went in to relieve himself. So you see, he had heard about David's whereabouts, and all of a sudden he says, hurry up, hurry up, we got to rally the troops. Now know that David's not done anything to Saul. David has not pursued Saul's kingdom. He could have had it. He could have had it, but it wasn't God's timing. So he was more worried about his call to his God than his right to his throne. The sense of entitlement was not there with David. How many of us feel entitled to where we think we should be? You see, he was more worried about what God was calling him to and the work that was at hand than he was his promise to greatness or his promise to fame or his promise to fortune. Don't you see what happened? God had called him and, and, and already anointed him as king. But God was more important than anything that had been promised to him. So here David is. He's fleeing for his life because of God's call. And his enemy in pursuit of him with 3,000 choice men goes into this cave to relieve himself. He goes to tinkle. Do you know what the literal translation of that is? It says, to it says he went in to cover his feet. And I thought, how did they get to relieve himself because it says to cover his feet? You know why? It's because they didn't have closed shoes. So when they had to relieve themselves, they covered their feet so it didn't splash onto their feet. A little bit of biblical history there. You're welcome. <coughs> hey, that's Bible, okay. So he went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. So here Saul goes into the cave to cover his feet, to tinkle. And deep in the cave, it's dark. And David and his men, now David had about 600 men. You can see that later on in the scripture. David had about 600 men. Saul had about three grand outside. But Saul had went in by himself to relieve himself. And David was in the cave that Saul just happened to go into. Saul just happened to go into this one cave in this whole wilderness and David and all of his men happened to be in this cave and they could have just got it right there, Jack. Boom, pow, you're gone. My kingdom, God said. But listen to what happened. Now, David's, now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave and the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now, David is kind of like Jesus here. He's like a ninja. I mean, now here Saul is doing this thing. And it's dark, but I mean, David's, I mean, he's good. David like swung up around, come behind him. Cut a corner of his robe off, stuck it in his pocket, and slid away. And, and Saul's just like, <whistles> now I know all men face forward. No, you don't, you don't do that. So you're not going to look around to see. I mean, you're looking at the wall. So that would have helped David. But David's good because he slid in, cut a corner off of his robe, took it with him, and Saul never even knew anything. Now, I think God had a part in that because there's another part in a, in later on in the story which God caused a deep sleep to fall over Saul so that David could kind of do the same thing again. So God was watching out for David. So David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And after David's heart struck him, 
because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put my hand, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So after Ninja David slides around, slips off a corner of his robe, all of, all of a sudden it hits him. What have I done? I've done this out of, out of false advice. I've listened to the wrong people. I heard from God. I had a call from God, but I have seen this, and my flesh has wanted this, so I wanted to cut off a corner of his robe. It wasn't right. It wasn't right. And his men was about to kill Saul and wrongfully and untimely take the throne, but David said, no, we can't do it that way. I cannot put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. You see, there are going to be times when you think that the person above you, that the person in leadership over you, that the person in authority over, here, over you should not be there. You're going to think that you would do a better place in their place. You're going to think that, that why, why didn't God put me there? And who knows, maybe God would have you there one day, but he doesn't right now. He doesn't right now. So how hard is it for you to put off what you think that you should have? How hard is it for us to put off what we think that we know, what we think that we should have, how we think things should go in order to follow the call that God has called us to and to seek him and put him in his kingdom first and to follow after the goal that he has called us to for the greater glory of God, not for the greater glory of us. You see, David was after God and not after the throne. There's a huge difference in desiring God's blessings and desiring God. The first thing I want to show you out of this story is the way that God worked in David's life. You see, at the end of the story, the last two verses say, so David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. You see, it would have been easy for David to listen to his men, but instead of listening to his men, he listened to his God. So he continued doing what God had called him to do, and he let Saul go. And God dealt with Saul on down the road, and David took his place as king. There's a couple of things I want to show you through this story. A couple of things I want to show you. If you're taking notes, you can write down. And I can, can I get uh, one of my guys to get me a bottle of water? I've had a little bit of sickness and my throat's about dry. <clears throat> the first thing is, sometimes being called means life gets harder. Sometimes being called means life gets harder. Now, I put sometimes because you may have one in a million who it gets easier. Could God use and call someone to become a Christian, hit the lottery, use their money really well, move to Hawaii, and minister to the lowly in Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm, you know, missionary to Hawaii. Sounds good to me. But most often and, and, and more often than not, we cannot preach a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel because... Life tends to get harder. Thank you, brother. When we receive our call. Sometimes being called means life gets harder. <clears throat> you see, Samuel anointed David in chapter 16. And as soon as he anointed him, 
piles of problems just came on. Now, sometimes this is due to our stupidity. It's because we go around saying, well, this is what God's called me to do. Oh, let me tell you what he's going to do. You're gonna, you remember Joseph when he received his call and he got the dream and the dream was that he would one day rule over his brothers and he goes to his brothers who were obviously a lot bigger than him and a lot stronger than him and he goes to his brothers and he's like, guys, I had a dream. I'm going to rule over you. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I thought I was. <laughs> Sometimes it's due to our stupidity, but a lot of the times it's because it takes those hard times to get us to where we need to be. Don't you know that God, he is chiseling on you. He is working on you. And if your life is a cakewalk from day one, you have no idea how to relate to Christ because if the world hated him, it's going to hate you. You want to be a soldier for God? Then you go to war, son. You want to be a soldier for God? Then you get smacked in the mouth a time or two and your lips toughen up. I want to tell you what. I used to work with a man who refused to wear work gloves. You know why? He said it'd make his hands soft. That's good advice. If you do what I do for a living, if you wear gloves, guess what you have to do tomorrow? Wear gloves. If you don't wear gloves for two or three weeks, guess what you don't need? Gloves. Trials and hard times, they prepare us for the harder trials and the harder times. You think life's going to get easier? No, it's not. You know why? Because you are getting old. Except the ladies in the room. Y'all looking just as good as yesterday. Honey. But you guys are becoming old farts. And y'all smell worse, y'all look worse, you're slower, you're older. Everything's harder. Everything. Everything. And, and, and it's, not, it's not getting any easier. Things are breaking. You're like, what in the world? I used to be able to do this. That's why I'm, that's why I'm walking with a limp. And Terry Corn told me this morning, he's like, don't limp. I said, what do you mean? He said, don't limp. I said, my foot hurts. He said, but if you limp, you might keep limping. I said, well, my foot hurts. But he's right. I got to suck it up. I got to take the pain so that I can get through the pain. Does that make sense? Life gets harder for a reason. Don't you doubt God. Don't you, don't you push God aside and say, I'm not going to go with you anymore because it's got hard when he's looking at you saying, it got hard so that you can go more. Amen? God is shaping you. He's directing you. He is showing you how you can do what he's called you to do. David could not have been king if he hadn't had Saul on his tail. Not the kind of king that he was. Not the kind of king that he was. You see, Saul took 3,000 choice men to kill David who had around 600. You see what this means? It says he took 3,000 choice men out of all of Israel. You know what he did? He went and got the Navy SEALs. He went and got the baddest of the bad. I'm talking about the, the greatest of the great. There are stories in the Old Testament of men taking spears and just ramming it straight through people and it going all the way through. You understand what this means. They didn't play. You think they played? They didn't play. In the Old Testament, you have armies of Israel going and wiping out everything. 
everything. And by the command of God, God would tell them, say, go in and leave no stone unturned. Don't even leave any of the cattle alive. That's how bad they were. They wouldn't just kill you. They'll kill you, your family, your pets, your dog, your cattle. The pigs will be squealing. Everything, gone. David's life got tough. Tough. And to add on to that, he knew that he was God's man. Come on. He knew he was God's man, but was getting attacked. How hard do you think it was for David to continue to praise the living God? You think you got it bad? Do I think I've got it bad? Sometimes I walk around and, and whine because this person's not doing this thing I think they should be doing or, or, or this thing's not going the way I think it should be going or this customer hadn't paid me or this whatever. My life is a cakewalk, and I'm a pansy sometimes, to tell you the truth. David had 3,000 short Navy SEAL ninjas looking to cut his head off. But he still followed God. He let nothing stand in his way, even when it got difficult and even when a false opportunity to get out of it showed itself. Which leads us to point number two. How we deal with struggle will depend on our allegiance. How we deal with struggle, how you deal with struggle, will depend on your allegiance. You see, how we, how we deal with it depends on where we are focused, where we are going, what we are going for, and where our allegiance is. That's why this message is called, Who is King? Because who your king is will decide what your actions are. You see, he got some false advice as we research in commentaries and in, in, in the original languages and things like that. His men told him, you see, Saul had went inside to do his business, and you are very, very vulnerable when you were doing your business. Okay? You really are. I mean, you think about my two-year-old. And I don't know why my boys like to pee off the porch so much. But literally, were we not, baby doll? We were, on, we were on our porch last night having some family time around a little fire pit. And Titus, the fire pit is right on the edge of the porch, turns around in front of God and everybody and just starts peeing off the porch. And you know what he says as he's peeing off the porch? He's like, this is why I love being outside. I'm like, yeah, that's great. We can pee. You know what I'm saying? But you know how vulnerable he was in that minute? In that moment, I mean, all I had to do was like that, and I was so tempted. I could have just went, you know, because you like, like, you know, oh, you know. I mean, he probably had, you know, I mean, you're just vulnerable. You're vulnerable. And so this opportunity presents itself when Saul is absolutely vulnerable. You know, he's looking straight forward. There's none of this. You get punched in the face looking like that. And so he's not going to look one way or the other. David and his men are right there. All he had to do is set a, instead of cutting that edge off of his garment, just slit his throat. Or even worse. And it would have been bad. I mean bad. And his men were telling him to do it. His men were telling him to do it. As a matter of fact, they gave him false advice. Listen to this. The first question I have for you is, what happened to the notes? Did they fall apart? Did they disappear? That's okay if they did. This point is, how we deal with our struggle all depend on your allegiance. And the first question is, who do you get your orders from? 
Who do you get your orders from? Who are you listening to? Who's, what voice do you let play in to the actions that you take? Who are you, where are you getting your command? Where are your orders coming from? And then I would say this, David should not have listened to his men. You see, these men loved him. These men cared about him. They were going to fight for him, but they were not the best help for him at times. Because listen to what they say. <clears throat> now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, and the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. They acted as if they were quoting scripture. <clears throat> but as I studied, and, and the commentaries come together and they say, this quotation cannot be found in Scripture. This quotation cannot be found in Scripture. These men were giving a false quote. If it, if it was, they can't find it in the canon that we have. These men were, they, were, they had good intentions. They had good intentions. It's kind of like Sarah when Abraham was called by God to have a son. And that son would become... Uh, the as numerous as the sand on the seashore, and from that son would come a savior of the world. But Sarah doubted, and she laughed, and she went against God's plan and said, Abraham, let me, let, let's, let's help God out a little bit. I got a maidservant in here. I'm barren. Don't you go on in there. Well, you know, God's obviously come, having a hard time, so you go on in there, and we'll, I'll look this way, and we'll get it done for God. Well, out of that whole line comes complete and utter tension and warfare for centuries, and we're still dealing with it today. You see, David's men had good intentions. They had good intentions. They wanted, some, some, they wanted David to take his rightful place on the throne, but they could not see as David saw. And sometimes, sometimes that's your problem, and sometimes that's my problem when we try to talk into somebody else's life, is that we cannot see where God has called them to. And a lot of the times, we need to offer advice, but sometimes we need to be careful. You see, they had said, look, God has given him into your hand. God has given him into your hand. But this was not God's will. And he had listened for a second, because as I read this story, <clears throat> I thought, well, what a wonderful thing David did, just cutting off the corner of his garment. He could have killed him, but he didn't. But you see, there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. Because cutting off the corner of his garment wasn't just a, you know, a non-meaning thing that just dis didn't matter at all. It was, it was actually very aggressive for David to do that. You say, what are you talking about? What I'm saying is that in the Torah, it was outlined the proper dress of a king and what was required of him in order to be king. And so, as David took off this corner of Saul's garment, what this signified is, is that he was taking what had signified Saul to be king, and he was transferring the power to himself. You see, this was a power play. It wasn't a sympathy call. It was a power play. And he was making the law void because he was tearing the garment. You see, in a sense, he dethroned Saul. He dethroned Saul by doing this act. And that's why his heart was gripped with guilt. His heart was gripped with his conscience and with conviction of the Holy Spirit. 
because God said, no, you don't. It is not your time. And it does not depend on when you think it's time, but it depends on me and when I say it's time. And so his heart was wrenched. And so he tells us, man, we can't do it. We can't go forward. You see, this was the first act. He would have cut off the corner of his garment, took that to say, you see, I am the rightful king. They would have killed Saul, and he would have proclaimed, I am king. But God gripped him. God gripped him. Bottom line is, sometimes those closest to us, even though they love us, do not give us the best advice. If David would have followed anyone but God, Saul would have died, and God's plan would not have gone how God wanted it to go. Sometimes those closest to you give you the worst advice. They give you the worst advice. Sometimes they don't. That's why you have to be in the scriptures. That's why you have to be among fellow believers. That's why you must be being lifted up and encouraged by your church family. And that's why you must get on your face before God. I, I was talking to some people the other day that, who I love, but they don't necessarily agree with me on some issues. And I was trying to show them some facts and some logical evidence and some reasoning of why I believe the way that I believe. But at the end of the day, I told them, I said, do not believe me because I am me or because of what I'm saying. You believe what you believe because God has shown you through his word that this is the truth. Don't believe me. Don't believe another pastor. Don't believe another person in the church unless you have checked what they say against the word of God and it is proved true. You see, Paul said the Bereans were more noble than the rest because they checked everything that is said by the word of God. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God. I don't care what he said. I don't care what she said. I don't care about none of that nonsense. I care about what God says. And we need to seek God on a daily basis. And I do too because I fail and I'm flawed. And I got a million different people telling me a million different things. And so I have to be careful because I want to listen to everybody, but I can't. And neither can you. We've got to listen to God. And we've got to follow God's call. As long as you do that, you cannot go wrong. So the last question, the last point before the gospel presentation is where is your allegiance? Where is your allegiance? What, is your, what prize is your eye on? Where is your allegiance? Which direction are you going that you cannot be turned from? Don't you see this is what Paul, I mean what David was doing. You see, David had set his eyes on the call of God. And as he was walking in that direction, as he was moving in that direction, there were constant calls, other calls, coming from different directions. But he stayed focused on the prize. From time to time, he would start to look off, but God said, whoa, 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 whoa. He would start to look off. God said, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not about you. It's not about what's coming from the side. It's not, what, it's not about what's going to hit you. It's not, it's not about that. It's about me out here. It's about our relationship. It's about our call. It's about what I have commissioned you to do. Where is your allegiance? Where does your call come from? And what are you looking to gain? What is the prize? That is the question. What is the prize? Another question. Because, <clears throat> you see, David, as this little story progresses, 
We've got to see what David did. And so the next question I have for you, do you participate or encourage sinful behavior or do you shut it down? You see, David's friends, David's soldiers and David's fellow comrades, they were participating in this sin. They were, they were hearing from the enemy and they were listening and they were bringing David down. And David, for a second, participated, and he listened to some other voice than the voice of God, and it caused him to go off track. And it wasn't until God caused this heart, caused his heart to feel the conviction of God, that he straightened back up, put his eyes back on the prize, and instead of participating in the sin, he shut it down. Are you participating in sin, or are you shutting it down? You see, this morning we come in here, we sing the songs, we love Jesus, and that's wonderful. But tomorrow you won't be in here. And tomorrow night you won't be in here. And this coming weekend you won't be in here. And you will be a representation of Jesus Christ out there just as much or more so than you are in here. You see, church oftentimes is a good place to hide. But out there, but out there, how are you? talking down someone else to another church or our church and just jump right in? Are you participating in sin or do you shut it down or just walk away? You see, David, even King David slipped into that. I slipped into that. I do. I'm not perfect. The pastor just told you I slipped into that. I get caught up talking about this and talking about that. I take my eye off the prize. You see, the next would be, are people, friends, and family better because they know you? Are they better because they know you? You know, as you live and move and breathe with Jesus Christ, and as you go about, as you go about doing what God has called you to do, this is the truth of the matter. I can sit in here and I can give you ten steps to advance. I could lead you down the Roman road. And I can give you some advice on how to go to someone's door or how to approach someone in the, in the grocery store or, or any of those things. And I can help you to, to know how to walk someone to the winner's prayer. Okay? And that will be all well and good. But if you are not living out your call, that is constantly I care nothing about you looking like you. And I'm a firm believer that if you are chasing after Jesus Christ, and if you are focused on Him and living out loud and loving Him, evangelism will be a natural attribute that the Holy Spirit breathes in you. Real evangelism is not done by your hands or by your knowledge. It is done from your heart, and you cannot help it. It is the life that you live. It is the, tra it is the path that you travel. You can't learn how to evangelize. You can't learn how to lead someone to Christ that comes out of the overflow and the abundance of the life of Christ inside of you. Where are you focused? In what direction are you living? 
What do you feel as if you're entitled to and manipulating and moving everyone else around in order where you can be where you think you should be? Or are you looking to God and saying, I'm headed that way. Where I am is okay. Now I want to tell you something in this story. And I want to point out a truth probably about you if you're like me. See, most of us in here would say, I don't feel entitled. I'm just doing what God has called me to do. I don't feel this way or that. If you're like me, let me tell you differently. As we all stand to our feet and as the lights are lowered. We've come to the end of the service. Many of you know me. You know that I cannot leave you with this being good advice. To stop feeling entitled. To keep your eye on the prize. It doesn't work that way. Because left to your own devices and your own grit and your own will, you cannot do this. See, most of you, if you're like me, you automatically assume that you were David. You automatically assume that you were David and there was a spot that you were entitled to and you need to be patient until you get to where God has called you to. You automatically assume, even in this sermon, that you were entitled to the most lofty position. You equated yourself with David and you said, I know that God has had things for me and these people need to get out of my way so that I can get to them. But you and I are not Saul. You, you and I are not David in this story. We are Saul. You and I are not David. We are not the ones with the rights. We are not David. We are not the one who everybody else needs to get out of our way so that we can be the one. You see, even in this sermon, we were feeling entitled. Even in this sermon, we were saying, I'm just like David. These guys need to move so that I can be what God has called me to be. We were Saul. We were Saul. You see, though Christ has been anointed king, we refuse to get off of his throne. Don't you see? Jesus is David. Though Jesus is crowned king, we refuse to get off of his throne. Though he is the one who has been called to this place of glory, we refuse to give it all to him. Though he is lifted high, we refuse to accept our lowly position. We are not David, friend. We are Saul. And in the story, Saul continually says, David, I know, I know, I know. I'm going to, I'm going to get out of your way, David. I'm going to get out of your way, David. I'm going to get out of your way. I know that God has called you, David. I know that God has called you. But then he steps right back in. And he tries to knock David off the throne. Where are you at? like Saul. We continually try to knock Christ off the throne. But you see, as we are like Saul, Jesus is the greater David. Jesus is the greater David. You see, instead, instead of doing what He should have done, 
Instead of cutting off the edge of our garments, His garments were divided at the foot of the cross. Don't you see? Instead of cutting off the, the edge of our garments, his, his garments were divided at the foot of the cross. It's the most amazing picture we have ever seen. Instead of sparing our life by leaving us alone, He saved our life by dying alone. You see, David walked out to, to spare Saul's life, but Jesus refused to leave the cross so that your life would not be spared, but that it would be saved. This Jesus, there is no king like him. There is no king like him. He should have killed you, but he didn't. He should have left you, but he didn't. He should have took his place by force, but he didn't. You see, instead of awaiting you to fall from his throne, he rescued us and made us his own. And the Bible tells us that we have been seated in the heavenly place with Christ Jesus. Don't you see, friends? We feel so entitled that we can't hardly escape. And even in the sermon, we're trying to figure out who it is that needs to get out of our way. When we are the ones that need to get out of the way, it's time to get off of this throne and to stay off of it. It's not about you. It's not about me. I have got to get off of his throne. You have got to get off the throne. Because what I will tell you, what I will tell you is, this king is worthy. And he will win. You're either for him or you're against him. Do not call his hand. Do not call what you think is his blood because he will have all of your devotion or he will have your head. I'm saying this because my God reigns forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. And he is calling you to come alongside and share in his victory. He is calling you to the heavenly places. He is calling you to be used by God as a powerful force to draw others into the kingdom. And this silly nature of ours that tells us that it's all about us, that it's our time to shine, He will kill that in you if you will lay it down at the altar. His sword is sharp and His eyes keen. Come lay everything down before the King. He's waiting on you. Don't you wait another second. Let's pledge our allegiance to this King and vow never to take our eyes off Him again because He is worth it. Come today and lay your life down in a way that you've never done it before. I will be here begging God to rob from me my sense of entitlement because it's in here. We pray together. Hijack our sense of entitlement, dear God, so that we 
might not be prideful, arrogant, fool, to pursue your throne. Someday, lay it down before your king.